Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. The following recording is from our midweek prayer and practice service. These services are meant to provide a biblical basis for different spiritual gifts and areas of discipleship, as well as allow attendees a place to practice those gifts. We hope you are strengthened, encouraged, and comforted by this message. Tonight, uh, we're going to talk about something that isn't explicitly mentioned in where we've been in 1 Corinthians 12, but um, I was talking to Nate this week, and um, I, I just had it on my heart to talk about dreams um, uh, in a manner of, of speaking, uh, dealing with uh, dreams from the Lord. And so even though we don't necessarily see it in that 1 Corinthians 12 section, what we do see is this uh, pretty strict storyline that is drawn throughout the entire library of Scripture where the Lord is doing pretty incredible things, largely predicated on dreams. And so um, it's probably good to start with a definition. Um, the word dream occurs a whole bunch of times in the Old and New Testament. Um, sometimes your, your Bible will translate it as night vision, um, but uh, it always carries the same sort of connotation. It is a vision that you have, meaning that you see things, and it's something that happens with your unconscious mind while you're asleep. Um, and I think this uh, is rendered differently than a vision that you see when you're awake, and Bible translators make sure to, to draw that sort of difference. There's a couple times in the New Testament that you see the word trance, which is not what we're talking about tonight. I don't know if we'll talk about that at a later date, but there are visions that people see where there are things that are shown them in front of them in their waking mind. But the dream, as you would uh, venture, is not something that happens while you're conscious. It's something that happens while you're asleep. And so that's uh, to draw the difference where I'm not talking about like your aspirations and hopes for the future, that, not that kind of dream, but a dream that happens while you're asleep. Does that make sense? So um, they share a similarity with uh, the other kind of vision in that it's something that is, is kind of an experience. It's not just something where it's like, oh, I have this, this faint impression of something. It's like, no, you're, you're seeing and experiencing something. Um, who here has not necessarily like a Lord dream, but who has had a, a dream, like you see a movie while you're sleeping? Has anybody ever done that? Cool, cool. If, if there's anybody that hasn't done that, this might be confusing for you. But, um, but I think we can all kind of understand the reality of what a dream is. And so I don't have to explain that too much. I think we can all basically relate to that idea. But I want to take uh, a moment to trace um, sort of this biblical story that is, is, is really um, dotted with uh, dreams and really significant moments. So we're in Genesis 37. And in Genesis 37, Joseph... Um, of, of the line of Israel has a dream. Does anybody remember what Joseph's dream is? Yeah. Like you could say it out loud. Oh, um, no, I think yeah. Yeah. So he sees it in, in symbols that there's these this idea that he's representing this honorable symbol and that his, his brothers and also his father are bowing down to him. 
And uh, you'll see this motif of the moon and the stars repeated later in the book of Revelation. Um, if you ever draw that hyperlink, it's pretty interesting. Um, and then uh, pretty shortly after that, if you want to just flip a couple pages probably, in Genesis 40, 40 just 40, um, Joseph interprets a dream. He's now in prison uh, through a, a really peculiar uh, series of events. He's in prison in Egypt, and uh, he's with a cupbearer and a baker, and they both have dreams. And uh, they come to Joseph, and they're really stressed out. They've just been kicked out of their roles in the palace, and Joseph interprets their dreams. Um, then a full two years later, after the cupbearer gets restored to his position with the pharaoh, Pharaoh has a dream, and he's very troubled about this dream. And then the cupbearer's like, oh, yeah, I know a guy who's, who interprets dreams. And so that brings uh, Joseph up. And, um, and this kind of takes us, um, I, didn't, I didn't do the math uh, when I was preparing this, but it takes us years from Joseph having his dream to him seeing it fulfilled, being at the right hand of the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's dream is about famine and prosperity and that they have to prepare for these seven years of famine. And then he's able to actually save his family by bringing them to Egypt and providing for them out of the wares that he saved because of the Pharaoh's dream. And so then he sees like, oh, that dream that I had when I was a kid is now playing out like completely here as an adult. Um, we see dreams in Judges and into major and minor prophets. And one of the most notable examples we see is in Daniel chapter 2. Does anybody, uh, we, can, we can flip there, that's a good idea. Who has a dream in Daniel chapter 2? Nebuchadnezzar, very good. Um, yeah, this is uh, a very interesting situation because Nebuchadnezzar, who is the emperor over Babylon, he's having this dream. And he's very troubled by it. It's, it's very, uh, very strange to him. And uh, so he calls to all of his wise men and his magicians and these sorcerers that he surrounds himself with. And he's like, I need an interpretation for my dream. And so all these, uh, these men who are experts at this sort of uh, divining and these sort of practices are like, all right, tell us what the dream is and we'll interpret it for you. He's like, nope. You have to tell me what the dream is and then interpret it. And so all these magicians, all these, all these uh, wise men of renown in the kingdom of Babylon are like, that's not how it works. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't just, I can't just come up with this for you. And so uh, finally they call upon uh, Daniel and his response in, in verses 27 and 28 are, are, are really profound. He says this, Daniel answered before the king and said, as for the mystery about, the king, about which the king has uh, inquired, Neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. Verse 28, however, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has made known to Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. So from this, we can start to compile some things that we realize about dreams so far. Um, dreams people have are significant enough that they're making decisions based off of them. Um, and then uh, so far, what we've read is dreams are largely symbolic. We didn't actually read from any of these dreams, but um, if you guys remember uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, if you're familiar with this story, he sees a statue made of several different materials, and then he sees a large like mountain cut out and hits the statue. 
And not only is Daniel able to interpret this for the king, but we now have the benefit of hindsight that we can see what this vision is uh, recorded long before these empires existed, and we can compare them very directly. Um, so this is not only prophetic in the fact that it helped the person at the time, but this actually revealed the future beyond the lives of any of the people that were present, which is uh, pretty remarkable. And so I don't doubt that people in ancient history had uh, subconscious, like, illuminating electrical impulses in their brain. They saw things while they were sleeping. But there's something about these dreams that the Lord was inspiring that were different, you know? So it's not like they never dreamed, and all of a sudden they dreamed, and then, oh, man, this is so significant. Um, modern dream science has tried to interpret these kinds of events neurologically, and they don't really necessarily understand why these kinds of things happen. I think there's even people who are largely, uh, like, their par parts of their brain will still work even though parts of their body won't. And so they're still dreaming, their brain is still active even though they're uh, in like a vegetative state. And there's also a lot of pseudoscience, and I say pseudoscience meaning like not real science, um, that tries to give specific interpretive lenses to dreams. And so people will be like, oh, if you dream this, it means this. If, you, if this is present in your dream, it means this. You can never die in your dream or else you'd actually die in real life. I don't, I don't know who came up with that. You know, it's like, have you talked to everyone who's ever dreamed ever and is still alive? Um, I don't think that's real. I don't know. <laughs> I don't necessarily have anything to point to. But um, with the examples we've seen, with Joseph's dream, um, and then with this um, idea of, um, of Nebuchadnezzar's dream about empires, it took a really long time for them to actually be carried out. It took a really long time for the, the meaning of those dreams to take their full, full uh, significance, even beyond the life of the people. You know, like we now can read these stories and, and connect them with, with history and see like, wow, this is, this is um, significant. Another, another uh, place that uh, people usually go to when they think about dreams is in Joel 2. If you want to flip there with me, this one's much smaller, so is easy to miss. So um, Joel chapter 2. This is an example that we'll use that doesn't actually include a dream itself, but it talks about dreams. Now in Joel 2, there is this prophecy that is for the hour that Joel is talking about um, some pretty significant uh, struggles that are facing the, the country currently. And he talks about the answer is to declare a fast, to declare a solemn assembly, to weep between the porch and the altar, to call on the name of the Lord so that maybe he'll have mercy on us and, and answer us. Um, it's a real genuine famine that they're going through, and his solution is a spiritual solution. And then he talks about what will come in the deliverance, and he says this in verse 28, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on your male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And of course, this is quoted by Peter in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descends on the church at the day of Pentecost. And um, he's like, you know, what Joel was talking about all those generations ago, this is what it is. This is the, the, the beginning of the fulfillment of that vision that he had. Um, and here and in other places, uh, I, I, you get this sort of sense, and I was talking about the, this morning at our staff meeting, where it's like, I want to be able to build the bridge between us talking about this practically and like those big monumental dreams that like changed the course of entire nations and saved entire people groups. Because those dreams happen, but also people have dreams. And so 
even passages like this where there is the foretelling of the Holy Spirit coming upon all flesh. And accompany with that is sort of the implication that there is a regular activity of having dreams from the Lord. Um, I also uh, feel like it's, it's valuable to mention here, I don't necessarily think that what's going on here is qualifiers. So you think like, well, I know if I start having dreams from the, from the Lord, that means I'm old. Because it says old men have dreams, but young men have visions. And, and I, I don't think that's what's going on, because if you follow the pattern of what's going on here, um, what Joel is pointing out is that this will affect everyone, not just, not just the elite, not just the priests, not just these kinds of things, but old men, young men, rich, poor, slaves, free, all of these people will experience the Holy Spirit and they'll experience these sort of manifestations. That's the way I interpret it, at least, because it'll go on to have plenty of people who aren't considered old men have dreams. So I think that those kinds of things uh, balance each other out. Does that make sense? Um, so, uh, as, we, as we turn into the New Testament, um, we begin with Matthew chapter 1. Um, we see another dream that uh, dynamically affects history. Um, we see uh, Joseph uh, have a dream. Do you guys know what Joseph's dream was? Oh, we got in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yep, because uh, Joseph was an honorable man, and so when he found out the girl he was engaged to was pregnant, he was just going to put her away quietly, not to disgrace her or anything like that. But then uh, the Lord sends an angel uh, in a dream and says, don't do that. And it's interesting because I think there are other places where the Lord would just send an angel, but it specifically says that he has a dream, and an angel tells him, no, this is the work of God continue on with the way things are going. Directly connected to this, um, these wise men from the east are warned that Herod isn't a nice guy, <laughs> that he's not just looking to find Jesus and worship him. Uh, don't be his informant. Don't go back that way. Once you find Jesus, go another way. Um, and they're also warned in a dream. And I think the last direct instance that we get is Paul has a dream um, in, I didn't write down the verse. Wow, how lame of me. It's Acts 16, excuse me. Acts 16, Paul has a dream that uh, he sees a man from Macedonia, and the man is begging Paul to come to Macedonia and help him. And it's like, what a great way to figure out your calling and your next step in life where you see a person from the place you're supposed to go saying, come here. And so, uh, like, that's 16.9, uh, a vision appeared before Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, come to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10 says, when he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so the Lord is doing these sort of things. So um, I think it's, it's interesting when we, when we put the, these dreams that we talked about in the Old Testament next to the dreams we talked about in the New Testament, the dreams in the New Testament seem to be pretty direct. Like it's like, hey, you, do this. There's not a lot of room for like interpretive liberties or anything like that. It's just a matter of like, hey, you should do the thing that I'm telling you to do. Um, but I don't necessarily think that's to say that like God has stopped giving like symbolic uh, sort of visions and dreams. Um, uh, I think the Lord uh, loves, uh, and hear, hear me when I say this, it sounds strange. I think the Lord loves a difficult message. I think the Lord loves something that you really have to stare at and ponder and consider. 
um, and not just like this, this clearest answer. I know uh, Nate preaches all the time about um, like the still small voice, you know, that people want God to be screaming at them. So that way it's so abundantly clear. But I think what the Lord really wants is somebody who will wait and listen and be patient. So um, I want to I share some criteria about dreams so we can kind of land the plane and get sort of practical. Um, ultimately, we have to understand uh, the dream is from the Lord. So even the, the Macedonian man didn't like send a dream to Paul. Like this was the Lord using this symbol to show Paul, uh, this is what you need to do. So the dream is from the Lord. Additionally, the interpretation is from the Lord. We saw uh, Daniel who did incredible things in the course of his, of his life. Um, he gave all the credit to, to the Lord. He said, there is a God who reveals mysteries. He's not like, oh, I have the gift of interpreting dreams. It's like, no, there's a God who reveals mysteries, and he knows your dream. And then if you read Daniel 2, he tells the dream to Nebuchadnezzar without having no foreknowledge of it. He's able to tell the dream and interpret it correctly. Um, and I would say the dream is altogether for the Lord. It's from the Lord. The interpretation is from the Lord, and it ultimately exists for the Lord's glory. And this follows the examples that we've talked about for other prophetic words where it's like if a word isn't drawing uh, the heart and the mind to glorify God, it's not really from him. That's, that's his goal in everything that he does. And so, and so this is pretty clear. This isn't something we can really practice right now. You know, um, <laughs> everybody, uh, one, two, three, go to sleep. Um, no, uh, this isn't really something we can practice right now. Um, but I want to share some, some practical advice. Like, um, like I said before, any, I don't put a lot of stock inside in like the science that says, like, oh, if you dream of a car, that means this. It's like, it's just not really how the Lord tends to do things. Like if, it, if it's patterns that he has developed in scripture, let's, let's put stock in that. But I don't have anything like where somebody's like, oh, if, if it's 12 o'clock in your dream, that means that it'll happen uh, in this many hours. I, I just don't think any of that is really like substantive, so to speak. So I just want to offer a couple practical things I think will help in this, in this process as the Lord begins to do these kinds of things. Number one is write them down. Um, it's easy to forget a dream, even a dream that's from the Lord. And so as, as, as much as it depends on you, if you wake up and you're like, whoa, I just had a crazy dream, uh, as quickly as you can, write down as many details as you can remember. Um, and so I think even this writing down can begin an interpreting process where it's like, why did I see it like that? Why is it like this? I don't understand what was going on. So write down as many details as you can remember and keep that. Uh, the second thing that I would recommend for having dreams and interpreting them is to find people to bounce them off of, have, find people that you trust that you can talk to them about, that maybe they have some sort of insight, they know you kind of well, and you can talk about the dreams that you had and see if, if they have any wisdom about them. Again, I'm not putting a whole lot of stock in just like general dream interpretive principles. Um, I'm putting that more in the fact that this is the way the Lord speaks and find people who trust and know Jesus. And number three, and I, and I would say this is probably the most important one, is to be patient. To be patient on either end. So if you have a dream and you're like, I don't know what that means necessarily. I don't know what to do with this. To be patient that the Lord didn't just tell this to you to mess you up, but that he would be faithful to... Um, reveal to you the meaning in his time. Um, and on the other side of things, be patient. If you're like, I've never had a dream from the Lord, I'd like to, you know, I'm not doing anything while I'm sleeping. So that would be a very convenient time for him to talk to me. Um, 
be patient. I, I don't claim that this is something that everybody needs to do. Um, I don't think any of these gifts are something that everybody needs to do. I think these things are, are uh, just that. It's a gift from the Lord. I was talking this morning about a guy who I met, and he told me that he has a dream from the Lord every single night. And I was like, that sounds exhausting. And I'm just like, maybe it's my own lack of faith, but I'm like, that's a lot, you know? That's, that's, that's intense, because I have dreams, I mean, fairly often, that have nothing to do with Jesus, that have everything to do with me snacking too late or something like that, you know? Um, and I, I don't necessarily have answers for those things, but I know when the Lord has spoken to me in that manner, it was different. I don't really have necessarily a greater wisdom than that. I think it was different and it was notable, and I write it down. I talk to Shelby about it and uh, maybe a couple other people who won't make fun of me. Um, I recently had a dream that I have been sitting on for a while about Jesus coming back. And immediately after the dream, I was just psyched that Jesus came back in my dream. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And then immediately I could go through all the things. And I was like, well, that isn't really theologically accurate, <laughs> how he came back in my dream. Uh, that's not how the Bible talks about him coming back or, or how it's just a, a lot of the details didn't really make sense. And I, and I have mulled over the dream. I haven't told many people about that dream because I don't want people to think like, whoa, Adam's going to start naming the dates of the Lord's return. Um, it's not like that. But what I realized after praying through that dream for like a, like a month and a half now is that it was less about details purposefully. Like, don't like, oh, on, when the sky looks like this, you know that Jesus is coming back. It's like, no. The point was, look forward to him coming back. And that has really blessed my, my time with the Lord, where I'm like, Lord, I, I miss you. When I, when I saw you in my dream, that was so different than my general going on in my life. You know, when, I, when you were here in the parking lot with me, and we were kneeling down, and we were talking to each other, that was very different. And I want that. And so it's, it's less to do about the details of the dream and more to do with the fact that, like, wow, I realize how much I could be, uh, I could uh, have and how precious the Lord really is um, and how I can, I can invite other people into expecting him and, and looking forward to his return. Um, so I want to ask a question. Uh, who, who feels like or, or knows that they have had a dream from the Lord before? Can you raise hands? Wow, only a couple of us, only a few of us. Okay, no problem. Um, so what I would like to do is I would like to pray for all of us, and then um, maybe we split into, let's split into two groups. Let's just split into men and women. And then for those of you that raise their hands about a dream, I would love for you to share that dream. If you're comfortable, you don't have to. Um, and then um, we'll just pray for one another's needs. We'll pray that um, if the Lord wills it, that he'll speak to us tonight or this week. Um, and then we'll reconnect the next time we see each other. Um, but I just want to pray for all of us um, in general, and then we'll break into those two groups. Thank you for listening to the Open Door Church podcast. If you want to find more teaching and resources, check us out at opendoorpagosa.com.